Hey, good morning, everyone. It's good to see all of you. Uh, kids, you can head off to Kids Church, learn about Jesus this morning. So have fun doing that. Um, I don't know about you guys. I print and type every word that I'm going to say because, well, I'm just not smart enough to ad-lib it. So um, anyway, so today we're going to be looking uh, at what prayer looks like and what Jesus teaches us about that and how God is encouraging us. And uh, as I was studying it, you know, came to a realization that a lot of us pray so little and we don't pray a lot. And, you know, we can make a hundred different reasons and excuses as to why we don't do that, whether it's, I don't have the time, I'm too busy, uh, does God really hear me? Does he really listen? Does he really care? Um, is what I'm asking too big? Is it too little? And I'm here to tell you that Jesus teaches us the exact opposite of all those excuses. Um, and he really does listen to us. So if you've been following along with us, we're in a series, Kingdom Life, uh, which is Sermon on the Mount, which you can find in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We've been tracking with that since the beginning of the fall, and today we find ourselves in chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. So if you all would get your Bibles and devices out, um, and we will read those real quick. Starting in verse 7, it says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? So as I've been studying uh, these few verses in the context of the greater Sermon on the Mount, um, which is the largest sermon uh, that's recorded in Scripture of Jesus, so it's pretty important um, and as I'm looking at it, um, there, there, there's a theme that I saw that started to emerge. And in your Bible, if you look at, at chapters 5, 6, and 7, and all throughout Scripture, you'll see these subtitles on uh, separating Scripture out just to help us kind of contextualize about what some of these verses are, what their theme is. Uh, so if you're scrolling through and, and flipping through the pages of your Bible, you'll start to see in 5 and 6... Um, that Jesus is really teaching us about what it looks like to be children of the king, what it looks like to live a kingdom life, a life that is sold out uh, to Christ. And so in, in chapter 5, we see, you know, the famous Beatitudes, you know, blessed are the poor, the meek, uh, the lowly, uh, those who suffer for the sake of righteousness. We see salt and light and what it means like to influence those around us. Uh, what it looks like to be righteous, how to control our anger, not sin because of it, how to be finished with lust, to be pure in our marriage, not take oaths, not to retaliate, to love our enemies, to give to the needy, how to pray, how to fast, how to lay up treasures in heaven, not to worry and be anxious, do not judge, which if you notice, we did skip that a little bit. We'll be coming back to it in a couple weeks because Derek looked at Jake and I and he's like, you know what, I'll take that one. You guys, I'll give you a little bit easier passages, which, thank you, Derek. Um, so Jesus is going through all this stuff, and so if we look at it at a 30,000-foot level, we start to be like, oh, man, that's asking a lot. 
I mean, that's a level of perfection that I'm not, I do not hit. And I guarantee um, I failed at some of these areas, at all these areas at one point or another. And if you guys took a real quick look at your life, I'm sure you'd think the same thing. Um, and so really it's easy to become a little discouraged because of this. So we're like, man, Jesus, you are asking a lot and you know who I was before you and you know who I am now. And so we begin to realize that we fall tremendously short of this bar that Jesus is setting. And, you know, to make us feel even better, uh, which I would call the crowning jewel of this list, is Matthew 5, 48, which you'll see on the screen. It says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Great. I'll get right on that. And like I said, yeah, Jesus knows who we were before. He knows the condition of our heart still. We're not yet glorified. We're still in this process, if we have a relationship with Christ, of, of becoming more like him, of, of being you know, chiseled away a little bit every day of our sin being taken away and becoming a greater and clearer reflection of Christ. Um, but he's calling us to perfection. Okay, sounds good. Um, but on the plus side, we have the God of the impossible on our side. We have the Holy Spirit in our corner that lives in our hearts as our advocate. Uh, John 14, 26 says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So with all these things uh, in mind, as Jesus is going through this list of of uh, setting this bar really high for us, he's like, now I'm going to teach you how to do it. Not just what you should do, but how you do it. And so we should, you know, we should pay attention a little bit here. If he's teaching us how to do this, how we're going to live our kingdom life. Um, and so the few things that I want to go over today is that uh, in these verses, Jesus teaches us dependence on him. He teaches us uh, to be persistent, to be urgent, and to be expectant in our prayer life. <clears throat> so there may be um, seasons in our life, and Jesus knows this, right? There may be seasons in the life where we're, we're taking a few steps, and then we might take a step back, and might take another step forward, and then a really big step back. Like he knows that, but the, but the, the point here is, is that we're continuing to move forward, to becoming closer to Christ, to becoming closer to who Jesus is and who he is calling us to be. So, in light of all that, verse 7, it says, Ask and it will be given to you. So, before we move forward with this, we need to be like, okay, so what, what is Jesus saying here? What can we ask for? Um... And so I'm going to give you an example because we need to figure out what kind of ask Jesus is telling us to, to what he's teaching here. Um, so back in my uh, college years and early 20s, I had a lot of random jobs. I was a dishwasher for several years um, at Capitol Manor in West Salem. Um, I worked at the state fair. I sorted fence boards. I tracked inventory, did supply chain management, um, a lot of different things. And uh, every single time, my bosses asked me to do things. And I didn't have an option 
to do them if I wanted to keep my job. So it wasn't really asking me. They're more like, hey, Matt, I'm demanding and commanding you to do this, or you're not going to work here anymore. Um, that's not the type of asking that Jesus is talking about. We don't get to command and demand things from God. And I think sometimes some people will think that it's okay to demand and command things from the Lord of the universe. And I think sometimes we might think that, oh yeah, of course, I'm, I'm his son. I can command whatever I want of the Lord. But I, there, there is, this is not a secret ingredient to getting everything you want. Uh, God is not just waiting waiting to be like, oh, finally, he asked for $10 million, so let me deposit that in his bank account, because that's not how it works. That's not what Jesus is asking here. Um, we cannot put God under our authority and demand anything we want from him. So that's not the right, that's not the right type of ask that Jesus is talking about. Another type of ask is if, you know, I told Lindsay, hey, honey, could you go grab something from the store for me, like for dinner tonight or whatever? I mean, in all honesty, she's the one who does the cooking, so that'd be weird. Um, but, or I ask, you know, Ben, hey, can you come help me patch a hole in my wall? Um, because I have boys. Um, and all of you with boys, you know how that goes. Um, that's, that's an asking, I'm asking a favor based on a mutual relationship. I have a relationship with my wife. I have a relationship with Ben and with, with other friends being like, hey, could I get a, could you do me this favor? And it, you know, Without having to say it, I'm saying, you know, I'm there for you when you, when you need help. Um, this is also not the type of asking that Jesus is talking about, because we don't do favors for him so that it keeps a scorecard, and we can be like, hey, God, I need that favor. Back. I need you to pay me back for that favor. Definitely not what he's talking about here. The type of asking that Jesus is implying here um, comes from the relationship of a child to a parent, of a subject to a king of man to God. This all comes from an attitude of dependence. And anybody who's had kids or been around kids um, that, you know, in a healthy relationship, the kids recognize that they need their parents to, to feed them and clothe them and to house them and to give them, to give them everything that they need to succeed in life. Um, lately... My youngest son, Timothy, has been challenging that reality, um, as all three, four, five-year-old kids do, of saying, I'll do it. I'll do it. Let me do it. I don't need your help. Let me do it. Opening, opening you know, a cheese stick wrapper. I'll do it. And you know, 30 seconds later, he's like gnawing on the plastic to get it out. Um, or, I'll do it. I'll get into the car seat on myself, by myself. And you know, 10 seconds later, he's like, I need help. Please help. Please help now. But, I mean, as parents, you know, we want our kids to, to grow up and become independent um, and, you know, good contributing members of society. Um, but as we're growing up, you know, we can forget and sometimes we can lose um, that sense of dependence upon Christ and upon God. This is the type of asking that Jesus is referring to here. Um, not to command what we want in life, not what we wish would change, but he's just simply asking us, come before me, come before the Father, out of dependence, knowing that everything that we need is found in him. 
And frankly, most of the time, we don't even bother to ask God. You know, we may believe uh, that, like I said at the beginning, God doesn't have time for me. Uh, I don't have time to spend in prayer. Uh, You know, there's too much going on. Does he really listen? Does he really care? Is this really that important to me? You don't realize what I've done in my life. I don't think he even listens to me at all. Right? I think we've all felt like that a little bit sometimes in life. Um. But here, Jesus is asking us, ask anyways. Show our dependence. Be dependent upon God and upon that relationship. That's what he wants, right? That's what he strives. That's what a father wants. He wants that relationship with his children. Um, and so sometimes it helps to, do the, to talk about the negative of what we're already talking about. So we see asking will be given to you. The negative would be don't ask and it will not be given to you, right? It's the same thing just flipped on its head. And it's pretty common sense. If you don't ask, it's not going to be given. Right? So Psalm uh, 116, 1 through 2 says, I love the Lord because he hears me. Even Jesus asked for things that he didn't get. Even Jesus asked for things that weren't in the Father's will. If you remember, you know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before uh, his suffering and crucifixion, he pleaded with his Father and he said, Lord, if there's another way, take this cup from me. He knew what was coming. He knew the suffering and the intense pain that he was going to endure on the cross. Like, he knew that, but he still said, Lord, I know this is the plan, but if you got something else in your back pocket, now is the time to play that card. Like, please. Even though he knew that wasn't going to happen, he still asked. So we can have confidence if, if Jesus asks his father, who he is in perfect communication, in perfect communion with him, we also can ask, and we can come before him and have full confidence in it. So full, the full verse 7, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be open to you. So here, you know, we're seeing a level of intensity, a progression of intensity, uh, ask, seek, and knock. You know, we can ask and then we're like, okay, let's try a little bit harder. So then we're seeking and then we're like, okay. Let's put a little bit more time, a little more thought into this, and let's just, you know, start knocking. And so Jesus is like, don't just ask once or seek or knock once. But what he's literally saying is keep on asking, keep on seeking, and keep on knocking. Um, Do not stop. Don't cease. One of my friends, uh, one of my best friends in the world, he was a a track athlete in college, um, and he was telling me a story. He had a teammate uh, who grew up in a cult, and he wanted nothing to do with Jesus. And as they were becoming friends, you know, he started to pray for him regularly, every day, every week, saying, Lord, soften his heart and bring him into relationship with you and give me, give me ample opportunity to share the gospel with him. And he prayed for weeks and months and even years and, you know, almost gave up a few times doing it. And had multiple opportunities to share the gospel, just wasn't landing just wasn't hitting it. It wasn't the time yet. And five years later, prayed for five years, he got a call from the guy saying, I'm a son of the king. God is my father. And, and, and here I am. I'm now a brother in Christ with you. Five years later, the friend's now you know, married to a Christian woman. They have kids. He's serving on the worship team at his church uh, in, in Salem or Portland, I think. And 
I mean, he five years of prayer. And I'm sure my friend was not the only one praying for him, right? There were multiple people, possibly family members, other friends on the team and in school who were earnestly coming before the Lord and saying, break his heart and enter into him and save him. So Jesus is telling us, don't be discouraged when we don't hear an answer right away. I think a lot of us, you know, can think, well, I prayed once, I even prayed twice, and I still didn't hear anything. But he's, you know, keep on doing it. If our circumstances don't change overnight, keep on praying. If they don't change a month later, a year later, five years later, like my friend, keep praying. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. God wants to know we're not just using him as a lottery machine and, you know, pulling the lever or pressing the button whenever we need something in life uh, and whenever we need something right away. Jesus is asking for persistence in prayer. He wants us to spend time in prayer with him. It is the easiest way to communicate with him. It's the easiest way for us just to sit down and talk with, with our God who created us, who loves us, who saved us. And, and on a lighter note with persistence, you know, husbands, uh, I'm just going to challenge you, use a little bit of persistence when it comes to looking for the milk or the ketchup in the fridge. Um, it would go a long way, I promise. But half the time, I'm confident I open the fridge and the milk's like in a different dimension. Close the fridge, Lindsay comes up and, oh, look at that, there it is. What? It wasn't there before. I'm sure of it. Persistence. Trust me, it'll work. Uh, okay, so going to the verse 8. Uh, for everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be opened. So Jesus is teaching us to be persistent, and then he's also teaching us to be urgent, and he's teaching us to be expectant, to come with an expectation that God is going to answer to come with an expectation that he's going to meet our needs, to come that he's going to move, that he has our best in mind. James 1 tells us that we must ask without doubt. How expectant our prayers are reflect how big we believe our God is. Right? Do we think we have a little God who can't do anything and who is just here to, to make sure nothing falls apart? Or do we have a God who is so huge that he wants to know and wants to be involved in every single tiny part of our life. You know, look at the Old Testament uh, prophet Elijah with, with the story of him against the hundreds of prophets of Baal. And he's just sitting there like, yeah, throw on some water onto the altar. Like, put some stones on. That'll make it harder. You know, and they're doing all kinds of crazy stuff. If you want to read the story, it's in 1 Kings 18. But it was him against, against an army of prophets, and God moved in miraculous and powerful ways um, because Elijah prayed. So at this point, you might be like, okay, Matt, that's great. You don't know my circumstance. You don't get it. You don't get how big my ask is. You don't get, uh, uh, you don't get what I've done and how much and, and how hard my life has been or how many mistakes I've made. You just don't understand. Um, but Jesus doesn't stop here. There's hope still to be found. So let's uh, look at the illustration that Jesus uh, talks about 
in verses 9 through 11. Or which one of you, if a son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who was in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Right? So this is pretty common sense. A father does not, you know, a son comes up and asks him for food. We don't throw them a rock. Or they ask for a fish, you know, food again. And we're like, hey, here's a snake, you know. Play with that for a little while. Um, though I will say, Titus, my oldest, though, would be just over the moon if we handed him a snake. I mean, the past several weeks, he's really gotten into the snake documentaries, which is great. I love that he's learning it. But he's like, Mom and Dad, please, please can I have a pet snake? And there are not enough googly eyes and hugs on earth for us to ever let a snake into our house. And as Lindsay was looking through my sermon and helping me prep, she's like, you need to make sure you communicate just how serious we are that there would never be a snake in our house. Um, so we're currently looking for a stuffy that's a snake, and we'll find it. And I'm, hopefully that you know, fulfills his desire in his sweet little heart. Um, but really, right? So no parent's going to trick their child. No good parent's going to trick their child. Jesus knows this um, and knows um, that his audience understands this. And so he uses a type of argument um, that is called an a fortiori argument, and I might have said that wrong, so I apologize. Um, but what it does is it takes an existing confidence in something that we have. You know, father's not going to hand his son a stone when he asks for bread. And then he translates that to a second proposition. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is, he- who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So he's saying, If this is true, which it is, no good father would do this, then how much more will our Father in heaven, who is perfect and loving and just and holy, lavish his good gifts and goodness upon us? Man, that's encouragement, right? Right? If we can do it who are sinners, how much more so will Christ, will God our Father do it for us? Right? So all we have to do is ask. We need to come forward with, with a holy dependence upon him, a holy confidence, a holy urgency, and a holy expectation when we come to God in prayer. So the last question before we wrap this up is, okay, that's great. So Matt, what do I ask for? Like, how does, it, how does this actually work? Um, so before we get there, I got a quick story that hopefully will, will translate a few of these things. Um, I don't know whether this story is true or not, but I read it in a book, and I thought it was perfect for this application. So back in the 1930s in the Midwest, there was this massive drought, and it was called the Dust Bowl. You guys might have remembered this from your U.S. history classes in high school. Um, huge drought. Crops were dying left and right. And so there was a small farming community and, you know, things were not looking good. And they're like, man, if this year doesn't turn around, I don't know what next year is going to look like. We might have to move and move somewhere else and just abandon our, our homes and houses and, and the life that we built here. So the pastor in the church was like, okay, we're going to get everybody together into our church, and we're just going to pray for rain. They're like, okay, let's do this. So everybody in town shows up. You know, the church building's packed. And, you know, they're all like, okay, okay, we're going to pray for rain. God's going to do it. We're going to do it. And then an old farmer walks in, and everybody went 
silent. And he walks in, and he's dressed head to toe in rain gear. And the pastor's like, hey, what are you doing? What are you wearing? And he's like, well, you know, we're here to pray for rain. I'm showing God that I believe he can do it. So I'm ready for the rain. Church, we approach prayer the same way as that farmer did. How would our prayer life change? Farmer walked in and he was confident that he knew God will hear him, that he would provide the rain. Uh, it was urgent because his life and the life of that community depended on it, right? And he was persistent in it, and he was expectant of the rain. What he wore, he was expectant that it was about the poor outside. So if we approach God with a sense of urgency from not just asking in crisis, but coming to him day after day, seeking and knocking, how would that change our relationship with God? Our prayer life would become less of a, God, can you do this for me, this for me, this for me, heal this person, uh, provide this way, do this, 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 and this. If it was less of a, a list of can-dos and it was more of a, hey, Lord, I, I am asking for uh, to not be angry with my kids. Or I am asking, Lord, can I need some help with improving the relationship with my wife. Not, not in this crisis situation every single time of where we pray, but in this daily walk, in this daily relationship with him. So back to the question, what do we ask for, what do we seek, and what do we knock for? If you remember the beginning of the sermon, you know, I painted this joyous um, painting of discouragement of that here's the bar and, and here's us, right? Remember that happiness you felt? Um, so Jesus knew that when he was preaching. And, you know, as I'm, as I'm reading these things, I try to put myself in the people who are there listening to Christ. Um, so, you know, there was probably hundreds of people sitting on that mountainside listening to Jesus. And also there was his disciples. So if you can imagine being the disciples, and this is near the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and you're hearing all this stuff and you're like, oh no, what did I get into? Like, I have to follow this guy for who knows how long, and he knows everything I've ever done, and every relationship I've ever, you know, everything. Everything I've ever done, and boy, howdy, I hope he is prepared for the mountain of disappointment that I'm about to bring him. Um, right? But then Jesus tells us what to do. He tells us to ask and seek and knock. And so he tells us, if you're angry all the time, ask, seek, and knock that your anger will subside and God's love will be evident to those around you, particularly to your spouse and kids, because if we're honest, that's where it comes out the most. And if you need to, sit down with a counselor, work through what else might be going on, but, but couple that with a fervent prayer life. If you're lusting after someone who's not your spouse, Pray fervently that it would be taken away from you, and then go to every extreme to stop looking at the screen. If you have to move work departments because that's where that person is, and you need to quit your job and move somewhere else, do that. Every extreme to be done with lust. Invest in your marriage. Do everything you can and pray at every moment that God would take this away from you. 
If you have trouble loving your neighbors and those who are different than you, come before the Lord that he would bring ample opportunity to be in close proximity to these people so that you are you have great chances to love them and to sh- and for God to show you what his love looks like for all his children. If you struggle with anxiety and worry, pray scripture over yourself that God is your protector, your provider, your deliverer, your peace and joy and comfort and hope. And then seriously humble yourself and call a therapist or a counselor because they can help you work through these things, right? It's not one or the other. Your body, God created our body in such a way that anxiety and worry are alarm bells that are telling us something is wrong, something's off, something is off kilter. And, and a counselor or a therapist can work through these things because that's how God created us. Right? It's not wrong to seek help. Our life is too short to not have this, this fullness of, of an anxious, free life, of a worry-free life, and then couple that with fervent prayer that God would lavish his love and his care upon you. This is what Jesus is calling us to ask, seek, and knock about. He's got so much to give us. He's just sitting there waiting for us like, okay, I'm right here. I'm ready, and I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not going anywhere. Even if it's been years since you've talked with me, I'm still here. I just want to sit down and talk, and I want to give you every good thing that is of me. So come before God with a holy dependence. Pray with confidence that God will provide for you and that he will give you the characteristics of him, of Jesus. Come with, like the slide said, a sense of holy dependence, holy confidence, holy urgency, and holy expectation. Pray that he's going to bring the rain. Show up like he's going to bring the rain. He's going to show you how to love others, be generous, take away anger, knit your marriage together in ways that you could never imagine, comfort you in anxiety and worry, bring you closer to the Father's heart day after day. Pray big prayers, right? Don't shortchange this incredible relationship we have with him, right? Boldly pray the way that we see Jesus pray to his Father. Lord, if you can take it away, I know, I know you're not going to because this is your will, but if you could, that'd be awesome. He was boldly asking. Scripture tells us that he bled water and that he, that he sweated out water and blood. He was praying so fervently, and he was, he was, he was, but he was so dependent on his relationship with God. If he can do it, we for sure should have the confidence that God is going to listen to us that he will hear us. So with that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning, Lord, we come before you with with dependence, with confidence, with urgency, and with expectation, Lord, that you are going to provide for us. You have every good thing in mind for us. And Lord, that you are just sitting here at the table waiting for us to feast 
in you in this wonderful relationship that you have blessed us with. Lord, help us be more dependent upon you to set aside any, any qualms or any, anything that can hold us back. And God, with persistence and urgency and expectation, bring these things that weigh on us, that hold us down, Lord, and just drop them at your feet. Say, Lord, this is what I have. I know you can deliver. I know you love and care for my every need, God. Help us begin to show up in these ways, and we know you're right there. Lord, today as we, as we come before the table and Lord's Supper, man, like Marty told us, we are to remember the death. It's not just the life. It's not what Scripture says, but it is the death that we are here to remember what you sacrificed for us, God. What you gave up for us so that we could have life in you. Lord, we love you. Pray all these things in your name. Amen.